The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. As people, we're pretty funny with stuff. Things like glass bottles that can be used thousands of times, we use once and recycle. And things like cast iron pans that worked for centuries and last for generations have largely been discarded for short lifespan Teflon pans. One company out to change this is Ironclad Panco, a cookware company made in New Zealand and Australia offering a 100-year guarantee on their products. To talk how you do that, seasoning a pan, and what's next, co-founder and CEO of the Ironclad Panco, Joe Carter, joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having us on, Simon. Pleasure to be here. Hey, so tell us about the birth of the idea. What got you interested in in cookware. Yeah, right. So I've been working in advertising and marketing and building brands for a little while. Um, had run my own agency, had worked for other agencies, had worked for publishers, but had never created a product. Um, and so Levi Slavin, who was my old boss at Colenso BBDO and his wife, they'd been looking in their cupboards in the kitchen where all great ideas start. And um they just kind of discovered all of these Teflon pans and then a bunch of heirloom cast iron pans that they'd inherited um, from previous generations. And um, they decided that they wanted to make a cast iron skillet. Um, and ultimately, whatever they created had to pass the six-year-old test. So it had to be used by their six-year-olds in their lifetime and something that they'd you know, get behind and support in terms of the materials that we use and the actual product that we create. And so, yeah, in... So the back end of 2019, we went to China, of course, because that's um, that's what we know. And it was cheap and it was cheerful and you could tell it was cheap and cheerful. And part of our decision making when we were thinking about the product and the brand was we wanted to be able to put a guarantee on it. You know, something that was signed by all three of us co-founders, myself, Levi and Kate. And we just didn't feel comfortable doing that on a Chinese product. Never mind you know, their carbon emissions and all the things that come from importing goods from overseas. And yeah, so we decided to make them in New Zealand. And and what was it about? So so you're interested in products and you were with, um, you know, a couple of like really creative and interesting people who, who, who care about things uh, in Kate and Levi. Um, and, and But what was it about? Like, why exactly cast iron pans? Like, is that a symbol for all the things that are wrong or is this something that, um, that that's a real kind of special bugbear? So I think as you mentioned in your intro, you know, it's something that we discovered, you know, pre-industrialism that, um, you know, people have been using for centuries and had absolutely no challenges with. And then Teflon came along and just brainwashed into using, you know, mass-produced, really cheap shit in our kitchen. And so, you know, that happened. It just found its way into different cultures and different markets and stuff. 
and the cast iron cookware category just went into decline. And we kind of started thinking, well, you know, we, we had it right once. Why would we try and reinvent the wheel? Why wouldn't we just try and bring something that once was popular, bring it back into popular culture and do what we're good at, which is the storytelling and the branding around selling a product and trying to change behavior. There's heaps of benefits to using cast iron cookware versus other cookware in terms of its heat retention, its heat retention, its durability. You know, when we started talking to some chefs who were fortunately come on board and started using and selling our products, you know, it turns out it's a chef's choice. So if the chefs are using it in the commercial kitchens in their hospitality venues, why wouldn't we advocate that you should use it at home again? Yeah, so how does, like, the cast iron work compared to, like, a, um, a, a Teflon no-stick? And, I mean, tef- Teflon pans definitely um, kind of took the world over, didn't they? Even though until, you know, quite disturbingly recently, they were letting off some pretty noxious chemicals into the system. And that's not the case. If people have got a Teflon pan at home that they've bought in the last kind of 10 years, you're probably safe with your Teflon pan. But prior to that, they, they actually were a health hazard, hey? Yeah. So there's a really good documentary film called uh, Dark Waters that was really good use, uh, sort of reference material for us that explains what happens with a Teflon pan when you throw it into landfill and what happens when you cook with it. And in New Zealand, we still throw over a million Teflon pans into landfill every year. The chemicals from the pan leach into the soil. They end up in our waterways. They end up in our food. Ultimately, we ingest them. And when the surface of your Teflon pan starts to scratch and peel away, that's when the chemicals then leach directly into your food and directly into you. And yeah, I mean, the hazards of that are horrible. With cast iron... The opposite kind of happens, you know, the more you use it, the better it gets, you know, it's not going to end up in landfill, it might end up in an op shop in 100 years time, it will end up having future generations use it, it retains the heat really well um, as a cooking element and it works perfectly on all cooking surfaces, so I use mine on induction, but you can use it on gas, I've taken it on camping trips and used it on the campfire, it's just super, super versatile. So the benefits of cast iron over Teflon are both performance-based, but also kind of environmentally and health-based as well. Yeah, and there was some kind of um, chemical or compound that was previously used in the production of Teflon that was just straight-out disastrous. So if you've seen the, the documentary or read the absolutely amazing story about the um, the town where all of <laughs> the Teflon stuff was made, it's a disaster. It's not as bad as that now, but it's still not, not great with the waste. What's the big difference in terms of seasoning? Because I imagine, um, you know, people may have in their head that cast iron pans are a little bit more high maintenance to set up and keep using. And so what's the what's the process to kind of break one in and then how do you maintain it? Yeah, so there's two big challenges that we get from our customers or potential customers. One is the price. You know, why am I paying $280, you know, when I'm used to paying $15 or $20 for a pan from Briscoe's? I think if you if you question why that pan is available for twenty dollars at a fifty percent year round discount in those big retailers, then you'll understand. And two hundred and eighty dollars is an investment. You know, you're never ever going to buy another pan. It's the last one that you get. In terms of the seasoning process, so that was a deliberate design choice when we were first making the pan. So we called 
you know, dozens of foundries in New Zealand and we landed on one in Avondale in Auckland who could actually make our products for us. The seasoning process, so we decided to keep them unseasoned. That's how they were traditionally sold way back in the day. Um, again, it's only through kind of mass production and machinery and stuff that's led to them being seasoned in the box um, from other companies. We wanted to people to have the experience of seasoning it themselves at home, kind of like the Ikea effect, you know, where you take, you know, your chair, flat pack chair out of the box and you spend the next hour and a half <laughs> trying to work out how to put it together. We give our customers some seasoning instructions. Um, so essentially you, you wash the pan, you open up all of the pores and you heat it up for 10 minutes in the oven. You then take it out, coat it in oil, um, and we use grapeseed oil in ours because it's got a really high smoke point. And then you chuck it back in the oven for about an hour and then it's good to cook with. What that does is it builds up kind of this bronze patina on the base, which is a natural non-stick patina. And then after every use, we recommend that you just wash it, you know, with no soap, no detergent, nothing like that, just some water, dry it thoroughly and then apply some more oil or our conditioning balm that we've developed um, and that's what builds up the non-stick surface on the base of it. And, you know, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, like you say, that's what all the chefs are up to at the end of the night. One of the last things is to lovingly oil all of, uh, all of the cast iron. Um, in, ter- in terms of kind of like that process, you mentioned the foundry, which is such a great word, eh? Um, that foundry yeah. in Avondale. Tell us about how it's made and what it's made from. So we had absolutely no idea going into it how traditional the processes are around making this thing. We thought, you know, you could just kind of turn on and turn off production as of when you need. Um, But we need sort of a couple of weeks to get up to speed. That's been our biggest challenge in terms of business growth in New Zealand is because every single one is hand poured and hand finished rather than machine made. We're limited on how many we can make each week rather than how many we can sell each week. But yeah, essentially we spent a couple of months designing the product in 3D um, and then turning it into what's called a pattern. Um, And this pattern has two pans on it, um, kind of two pan molds, and that's been used. We've made a couple of refinements since since we first started, but that pattern has been used for the last nearly three years. And then they'll pack a sand mold with sand and essentially print a pan by pouring molten hot iron into it. Another important point with our company is that we're not using any virgin materials in the pans. We didn't want to take anything out of the ground and so we make sure that the foundry uses recycled materials using the highest quality grade of iron. So those could be old car parts, could be agricultural parts, could be railway sleepers, all sorts of things. So we're actually kind of repurposing and reusing existing stuff that otherwise would just be sent to scrapyards and turning them into something useful in the kitchen. And so it goes through this process, out pops a pan, and then it needs to be finished. Um, so there's a couple of guys in the foundry, and you should see these guys, they're just covered in black. Like they just, their life is, a lot of them have been there, you know, 20, 25 years. They absolutely love making all these iron things. And they'll bring their hand tools out and they'll hand finish every single one um, to make sure that it meets our quality requirements. And then there's a whole bunch of testing that goes on every batch as well to make sure that the material components are right. And then we have a reject rate as well. So at the foundry side, probably 20% 
of what we're making doesn't actually make it through to the final finishing process. That could be because of heat differences, um, a whole bunch of different reasons. And then we have our own internal Q&A as well because at the end of the day, every base of the pan says they're guaranteed for three generations and we want to stand true to that replacement guarantee. Yeah, yeah, I want to get into that guarantee in a minute. But like um, that approach, you, you know, and how do they look when they come out of the process as when I saw the, um, you know, the unfinished and unseasoned, uh, sorry, the unseasoned, unbroken in pans, uh, they look very different than the pans you expect to see, um, you know, hanging up over your, your oven. Yeah. So when they come out of the initial process, they're a little bit jaggedy around the edges, um, but they're completely silver and raw. And then when they're finished, you know, they, they're cleaned up and we kind of hand finish the surface. So a lot of cast iron skillets have bumps on the cooking surface. Um, we wanted to make sure that was super smooth um, so that you've got a more enjoyable cooking experience. And yeah, we wanted them to stay in their raw form, their natural silver irony form. So, you know, iron isn't black. That is the whatever the company's put in them to to ship them around the world and pre-season them. We didn't want any of that, so we just wanted to make sure it was supernatural uh-huh. and you could do it at home yourself. And it's so cool that that's kind of these ancient arts that, um, you know, when you say hand-finished, I kind of, you know, you immediately jump to those images and the the background of the Northman or, you know, some kind of movie when a sword's being forged for someone. But it's the, <laughs> it's the same stuff still going, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And, um, yeah, we recently partnered with Peter Gordon and his team at Homeland um, because several of our customers couldn't get beyond that barrier of pre-seasoning it themselves. You know, they didn't want to mess it up. And, you know, several customers previously have, have messed it up and things have started to stick or it started to rust or whatever might happen. And so they've sent it, again, you know, do the things that don't scale. They've sent it back into us. Um, and Kate, bless her, has got, you know, a double oven at home and starts pre-seasoning pans for customers itself. And so we decided to make that an offering just for a limited time. And we must have had 100 or 150 pans go through Homeland's kitchen with Peter Gordon pre-seasoning them for customers, which was, again, a nice story to tell to have a you know professional chef pre-season your pan for you. Uh, awesome. And we'll be back in a moment with Joe Carter to hear about how they put together a 100-year guarantee, a three-generation guarantee for their pans. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool. So tell us how you did that. So a 100-year guarantee uh, for the pans, which sounds like a nice kind of marketing thing, hey, like, oh, 100-year guarantee, but how do you actually legally create something that's going to last quite a lot longer than, you know, the average, um, even very long-lived corporation? With a lot of hard work. Um, So, yeah, Levi and I were kind of, you know, writing it and thinking about it and thinking, how do we actually make this a real thing rather than just a marketing ploy, as you say? You know, you see it, a 100-year replacement guarantee, and you're like, there's absolutely no way they can legally do it. But we're proud to say we did. You know, we, we called a handful of lawyers and we made sure that it was legally binding. And if you, it comes as a printed scroll in the box, and it's also on the website as well, and it's quite, it's quite a read, you know, in there. You know, what do we not cover it for? You know, if you drop it in a live volcano, you know, then <laughs> you can't claim on your guarantee. But if you know where a live volcano is, then please let us know because we'll, we'll test it out. You know, what happens if Google closed down or, you know, what happens if we stop trading with money? All of it's covered in the, in the guarantee. And Levi's just a genius in terms of all of the things he foresaw might happen. And so what, what happens? So if it, if it, if it, breaks or craps out due to a material defect, then what, they get a fresh, they get one returned or how does it get fixed? Yeah, so we've had, I want to say less than 20 out of the 10,000 plus that are in the world have come back to us. We have a really, really low return rate, really high customer return rate, really low product return rate. And so, yeah, all we do is we, we send out a new one from the foundry that's part of that week's pour, and we just have weekly pours so that we can track them back. We send it out with a return shipping label to the customer free of charge and just explain this might have happened for this reason or that reason or whatever it might be, but we want to take their pan back to the foundry for testing. And then we take the pan back to the foundry for testing. We melt down the iron from the return pan and we put it back into a new pan. So again, nothing's wasted in that process. And these things that you're kind of talking through, like um, working out, you, you know, legal um, legal avenues in case Google stops trading or money ceases to exist and, you, you know, <laughs> taking things back and hand, hand seasoning things for things that haven't worked, they do sound like you just said before, things that don't scale. So how do you go about growing a business um, when you're doing a whole lot of stuff that doesn't scale, like does it all kind of add up, uh, <laughs> um, or, or will it add up one day? Yeah, so we were quite buoyant that you could be both sustainable and profitable. I mean, sustainability in general was a myth, um, but as as sustainable as possible and profitable. And I think big companies can do it. I think small companies can do it. And there's various ways of doing it. For us, it was really focusing on the customer experience of our core product. So the legacy 28 centimetre pan, the little legacy 20 centimetre pan, and soon the Dutch oven. It's a four and a half litre Dutch oven that Kate's been working on for the last 18, 24 months. Everything else that we create, so all the kitchen and camp accessories around it, are all designed to sell the core. So whether it's 
um, oven mitts, whether it's aprons, whether it's a whole range of knives that we've released with sheer edge woolen handles rather than plastic handles and sharpening steels and all the things, all designed to sell more pans. For us, we were kind of fortunate with COVID and the lockdowns because that's when our business took off. Um, people started eating more at home, had a little bit more disposable income and were prepared to invest in New Zealand made businesses rather than things that are being flown from the other side of the world like tomatoes just so we can eat them in season which still baffles me um but that's another conversation for another day I think and yeah we were really supported right from the start from the chef community in New Zealand and you know several influences so as I mentioned Peter Gordon has kind of been with us right from the start with Nadia Lim and Al Brown and Michael van der Elsen and just kind of the who's who in <laughs> New Zealand chefs has been using the, have been using them and then selling them as well. So having that stamp of approval from the start has been great. And then I just think recommendation, really. I mean, recommendation as a marketer is, is the holy grail. There's mechanics built into the customer experience and the brand experience that are designed to increase recommendation. And we find on average that 30% of our customers come back and buy another pan which you'd understand if you were selling Coke. But if you're selling a product that you only need to buy once, you know, for people to come back and want to buy it as a wedding gift or a birthday gift or a Christmas gift or, you know, give it to someone else because they've enjoyed their experience that much, um, it's testament to the work that the team are doing. It's, um, it's pretty awesome. And how do you sell? So you've got the online store and then you were saying that chefs are, are selling them as well? Yeah, so we predominantly sell through our dot com website which is our new zealand website and then we're in about 30 retail stores in new zealand um in about 10 in australia although that's a part of the business i'm looking to grow and then yeah as i say some of the chefs sell them either at their cookery schools or at their restaurants as well and what are your plans for growth depends who you ask in the business <laughs> it changes every day so my my job is kind of leading that strategic direction that vision and kind of bringing a whole bunch of creatives together and making sure we get things done. It really changes. I think we noticed that a whole bunch of customers were ordering from Australia, like in their hundreds. And instead of us exporting from New Zealand to Australia, which is the less environmentally friendly option, but what I was taught at business school to do, um, you know, import and export and have eight different countries producing eight different parts for a product. We wanted to make everything on the ground in, in Australia for our Australian customers. So that's something that we started doing a couple of months ago. So we launched a .com.au website, again, called maybe 70 or 80 foundries in Australia. Found one in Silverwater in Sydney um, that had the tooling and the people to be able to do it. And probably about a thousand pounds into the Australian market for now. So that's going to be our growth market. It's through Australia, both direct to customer and through a whole bunch of retail partnerships, as well as corporate gifting, which seems to be quite popular in Australia. We'll continue to increase the product portfolio as well in terms of the cast iron products that we offer, as well as the other kitchen and camp accessories. Kate, my co-founder, she's a graphic designer by trade and turned product designer, and she's kind of got the itch for creating new products. But at the heart of those new products is sustainability in terms of that durability piece, craft, making sure everything is handcrafted and we're working with the partnering with the best kind of local artisan producers that we can. 
and then family as well. You know, Kate's got two young boys, two dogs, husband, like everything is designed for the family to enjoy. So yeah, essentially launching in a new market, which is crazy because we had no idea that we'd, well, we'd overlooked the fact that we'd need to build the brand from scratch again in Australia, which has been a challenge. So we're just in that, let's get as much attention as possible phase, building out some new products. And then we'll probably go and look at a third and fourth market to go and locally produce them. The idea is that we'll locally produce in every market that we launch into, but that might change if we can offset our carbon emissions when it comes to exporting. And have you been surprised by the pickup or is it kind of tracking ahead or behind of where you'd want? Because at one level, you know, 280 bucks for uh, a pan is a big investment, isn't it? But then if you're kind of, you know, going through a $20 pan every couple of years, <laughs> it pays yeah. back pretty quickly. It's completely surpassed our expectations. Um, you know, we we kind of saw it as a side hustle and that we'd carry on doing our full-time jobs. You know, Kate and I have both stopped doing our full-time jobs to do this full-time. We've hired a head of marketing and operations full-time to help us out. Like it's, it's going and nobody really prepares you for it. You just kind of have to make it up as you go along. And I think we've had some amazing advisors and partners help us along the journey so far as well. For context, in the first six months, um, sort of from November 2019 to April 2020, when we first launched to friends and family, we might have sold 20 pans at a stretch. And then on one evening, we sold 130. And since then, yeah, 2020, we did X amount in revenue. And then 2021, we just over doubled. And then this year, we're looking to do in excess of 4 million um, in New Zealand and Australia. So it's it's going. We just need to make sure that we're profitable. Banks don't enjoy working with small businesses um, because we're quite a liability compared to the bigger corporates who are already established. But um, we found that the love and support, especially for locally made small businesses rather than just New Zealand designed or Australian designed small businesses, has been amazing. So yeah, we're just excited to see where it goes. And that that kind of like you say with the banks there, um, you know, two hundred eighty is 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 pays itself pretty quickly down over the hundred year lifespan. What do the banks say when you, they see that you've got these kind of essentially liabilities printed on the back of each ban that <laughs> people can bring them yeah. back for a hundred years? I mean, it's an interesting conversation with the bank because uh, yeah, you try and talk about customer lifetime value and you know, how these customers are actually coming back and buying another one. And here's how we can evidence our growth path, all the things. The banks aren't interested if you don't have cash in the bank. And it's um, definitely a learning curve, which is why we brought Nick Bastian on board, who's our Australian country lead. He's Kate's brother-in-law, but he's also a chartered accountant. So we kind of have all of these superpowers in our co-founding and shareholding team, whether it's creative, whether it's Felicity Morgan Ryan, who's our chef and recipe developer. She was trained by Peter Gordon for seven years. Like we've got all of these superpowers that when you bring them all together, it kind of works. Finance is is the one that none of us like apart from Nick. (laughs) So he does those. And as a company with sustainability, you know, a a, a true sustainability and that idea of... um, you know, buy once and buy well, not kind of keep buying something, <laughs> sustain, no, not kind of just consume your way out of a consumer problem. I mean, it's, it's your dream to also see everyone go into their cupboards and pull down the cast iron pan that was passed down from 
Auntie Wendy and actually just kind of pull other things back back out of the cupboards and get them using as well. Most definitely, yeah. The number of customers I get in touch with is saying, you know, I've got this cast iron skillet, how do I restore it? Or how do I make it less rusty or whatever? I'm not there to sell them on one of our pans. I'm, I'm there to educate them on how to use the pan that they've inherited from Auntie Helga or whoever it is and to get using it again and be comfortable using it in the kitchen. Our mission is to take as many Teflon pans out of landfill every year as we can. If we do that through educating people how to use their current cast iron skillets, great. If we do it through selling ours, then great. But the idea is we'll throw away zero Teflon pans into landfill every year. And that's that's our motivator. What would your advice be for someone who is thinking, um, like, like your background of working to help other people sell a lot of products in advertising, marketing and branding and having that itch to go, boy, you know, it'd be cool to make our own brand, our own product, do it with our own values. What would your advice be to someone who has that itch? I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that if it was easy, then everybody would be doing it. Um, It's a really old advertising thing that I learned, but it is hard. It is tough. So it's, it's not for the faint hearted. But my advice would be just start, which is the hardest thing to do, but just start. There will never be a perfect time, a perfect place, a perfect team to to launch with or to start thinking about it. But, you know, thoughts are great. I think we just need more action um, and more focus and more action. So whatever it is you're looking to create, you'll never know if you don't just start. And it sounds really simple, but, you know, I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of ideas that I want to start and my advice to myself and to anyone looking to get into business would be just just get on and do it just start I'll bet a lot of people when you might have floated the idea of a as a team when you might have floated the idea of a hundred year guarantee would have said not possible don't do it that's dumb etc but how important do you reckon having that kind of a catch call that immediately kind of sets what your values and your differences in people's mind has been to you and like how important is it not to listen to advice that says no to things that you've got a gut instinct on yeah I think there's a difference between kind of persistence and resilience and then blind ignorance so we'll you know partner with experts and if the experts tell us that we can't do something we might get a second opinion but we probably won't do it if we're confident that it can be done like a three-generation guarantee you know it's it is a differentiator for our brand, for our product, and you know it holds us all accountable as well. You know we have we have production assistants who come in and help us pack the pans in our warehouse in Auckland, but I'm often at least once or twice a week packing the products, so I know exactly what's going out and you know exactly what it means to the customer on the other end who's going to be using this thing for for generations to come and. You know, I don't, I don't get that feeling when I'm going and looking at, you know, plastic packaging with water in it. You know, when I go and see beer companies or I go to, you know, different centres around New Zealand of where things are made, every single pan that goes out will have a different story to tell, essentially. It will have different food cooked in it, different cultures using it. And um, even three years in, that still puts my hands up. It's, um, it's quite cool. It's so cool. And as a final thought... What will success be for you and for the company? I have no idea what success looks like for me. Probably just stay healthy. <laughs> yes, stay healthy so that I can have future generations to hand mine on to. Uh, that's, that's the dream and 
version of success for me personally. Business-wise, I think that ambition of taking Teflon pans out of landfill every year in whatever way we can, the ambition now is to find something useful to turn them back into. The big challenge that we have at the moment is sure, we can take them out of the system, but what do we do with them then? And so success for us is building that circular economy around Teflon, you know, taking it out of the system with cast iron as a solution um, and being able to do something more meaningful with the Teflon, whether it's from cookware, whether it's from medical grade products, you know, whatever it is. Once we've taken it out of the system, what do we do with it then? And that would be my call to action or request from the listeners. If you're an engineer or a material scientist or working in that kind of research space, help us out, you know. Give us a give us a call. I'd love to know what we can do with Teflon once we've taken it out of the system. Yeah, that's so cool, man. And wouldn't it be great if every company that had been responsible for putting all this shit into the world had to take responsibility for pulling it back in? Hundred <laughs> percent, like you do, like you do with the cast iron. Well, thank you for for coming and and sharing your story. Uh, it's cool. It's such a cool thing to see. And um, yeah, can't wait to see where you take it next. That's Joe Carter, the CEO and co-founder at Ironclad Panko. Awesome. Cheers, Simon. So thanks to Joe Carter, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Teihe Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. And keep an eye out for Going Global in your Business is Boring feed, our new podcast with NZTE. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, Podcast Manager at the Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.